So in the reading corner today, I'm very excited to be talking to Laura Wood. Um, We're going to be talking in particular about her Effie stories. So the most recent one of these is Effie the Rebel, which follows on from Vote for Effie. It's about Effie Costas. She has uh, Greek heritage and she has political ambitions. We have learnt uh, in the first book that those have been thwarted somewhat, but she's not one to be put down easily. And she comes back fighting in this latest book where she's determined to make a difference. So welcome, Laura. Would you add anything to that? (laughs) No, I think that's exactly right. I think she's been kind of bruised in the first book. And that was definitely something that I kind of wanted to explore, really, this idea of really wanting something even something kind of altruistic and, you know, noble, and then it it kind of not working out and how you bounce back from that. So that was actually a really interesting place to start this second book from. Just like you say, she's down, but she's not out. She's, she's decided that, you know, this one setback isn't going to change her or to affect her determination. So yeah, this book is about her definite comeback, I would say. <laughs> And that resilience is so important. I would say that probably it's one of the biggest life skills. For me, it was important, actually, in the first book. I know it's a bit spoilery, but that the Effie kind of lose and have, rather than having this huge triumph at the end, but to find a way, even with that ending, to turn it into a kind of positive, upbeat ending. Because I think it's important for kids to read about protagonists who are the same age as them, who are dealing with the same kind of issues as them, who maybe things don't always work out the way they want them to. But, you know, that's not the end of the story. That's just, you know, one little part of it. Take us a little bit into uh, the new book. Tell us what this story is about. The story has kind of several threads, I suppose, but it's built around the idea of Effie kind of dealing with climate change and tackling that within her community and trying to think about ways in which she can make a difference, specifically as a young person who is perhaps not traditionally seen as being someone who's particularly powerful in those arenas, I suppose. So the story is about Effie trying to do good and and, and it kind of became a story of her trying to do good in the face of cronyism and sexism and all these kind of difficult issues uh, that she has to kind of struggle to overcome. Um, But I would say, hopefully, that it's done with a a very light touch. It's a funny book. It is. It's very funny. And I think what's great is that you could see the kind of macrocosm being distilled into this world that has meaning for the readers, that it affects their world. You know, it's Mm. like ripples, isn't it? It's as evident there as it is in the world at large. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the other thing is that these kind of smaller um, infractions or infringements or whatever, the, these issues that happen on a very day to day level, like everyday sexism, you know, it's all of these smaller actions that that make up the bigger thing. So the things that Effie's dealing with are very much the things that a, a, a normal kind of 
13 year old child might encounter but they are like you say it is a kind of macrocosmic it is this idea that it's a smaller version of the bigger world the structure of their school and the and the power structure there that she's kind of trying to unpick in her own way is very much a kind of gesture to to the larger adult world I think I think we should hear a little bit of the story first and then we can dig into some of those issues a little more deeply (laughs) Yeah, um, so I thought I would read from the very beginning of the book, Effie and her friends are climbing a big hill. (laughs) That's all you need to know then. Come on, guys, I say encouragingly now, rallying the troops with my trademark enthusiasm. It will all be worth it in the end. This spot down by the river is magic. It's like something out of a story. This statement is greeted by a stony silence. I know they're going to love it once they see it, though. There's a grassy bank that slopes gently down to the blue water, perfect for picnicking and making daisy chains. Weeping willow trees dip their graceful branches into the river and kingfishes zip along the surface, dazzling blurs of electric blue. There are fluffy ducklings to feed and a little stone bridge where you can play poo sticks, the game invented by Winnie the Pooh, where you choose sticks and race them through the water. I brought hot chocolate. And biscuits, I jiggle my backpack. Hobnobs, chocolate hobnobs, Kevin asks. Of course, I'm not a monster. Everyone perks up, just like I knew they would. Sometimes being a good leader is about keeping morale high in difficult circumstances. And I have found that hot chocolate and biscuits are a pretty surefire morale booster. Maybe I should write to the Prime Minister with this kind of wisdom. Sometimes I think world leaders just don't get how much people like chocolate. Soon we start heading downhill and the mood improves even more. We chat about what we watched on telly last night and the ferocious maths homework and Kevin's mum's latest health kick and the monstrosities he's had to eat. There's suddenly so much cabbage, he says, shuddering. It's nice, the chatter and the laughing. Relaxed, easy. Almost there, I exclaim as we wind our way through a shady wood. It's the sort of place where you wouldn't be surprised to find fairies or woodland spirits. The light coming through the trees is smudgy and gold. We round a corner and the river opens out in front of us and I come to a screeching halt. What? What? I gasp. I have rather unhelpfully frozen in the middle of the path. The others peer out from behind me. The sight that greets me makes my heart squeeze in my chest. The graceful willows are tangled up with plastic bags. There are no ducklings, no kingfishers, just a river choked with rubbish. Plastic bottles, crisp packets, fast food wrappers trapped in greasy brown water. I stumble down the bank and crane my neck to see down to the river bend, litter everywhere as far as I can see. What's going on? I say. Something must have happened upstream, Ruby says. This is a crazy amount of litter. It's terrible, Angelica breathes. Horrible, Kevin says, trying to fish a carrier bag out the water with a stick. Somebody should do something, Jess says. Her words are a wake-up call cutting through the fog in my brain. Oh, somebody will do something, I say fiercely, spinning around. I look at the dynamic team huddled before me. A grim smile tugs at my lips and I feel adrenaline pump through my veins. 
and it's going to be us. Yes. (laughs) Now, this is the start of her campaigning for a green deal, a new green deal for for the school. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, she approaches her, not her nemesis, because he isn't actually, but he was her rival in Mm -hmm. uh, the first book. And that's really interesting because we see some ways in which people who seem to be on opposite sides but can come together and work together. Tell us a little bit about that. That was a really important thing for us with the first book to develop the character arc of Aaron, who's sort of her nemesis. And he, in the first book, he's the student council president, but he's he's the most popular boy in school. He's walked into the position. He hasn't, you know, really tried to earn that place. And when Effie decides to run against him, one of the things that we talked about, my editor and my agent and me, was that how it would be really nice to see, even though Effie doesn't kind of come out on top at the end, she still changed the game because she changes Aaron and and he kind of has to step up to match her and the challenge that she presents Um, and it changes the way that he thinks and he starts to care more and engage more so that was a really nice place to start the second book from where they do have this rivalry but at the same time now they've they've kind of changed each other so that and and listened to each other and 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 learned more about each other and they actually make a really good partnership and a really good team there are lots of opportunities if a teacher were reading this book or sharing it with children in school to have conversations about leadership Mm. and whether people want those roles for the sake of status or whether they want them in order to as Effie does make a difference and so into this um dynamic we have a third character we have the junior vice president of the student council Matt Spender and he really is all about wanting power in order to get what the the best deal for himself. Yeah absolutely and and it was quite fun to write from that perspective where Matt's really kind of an out-and-out villain And um, in some ways, this was really obviously drawing on our current kind of political situation and the frustrations that I was feeling about this idea of having leaders who seem very much to be led by (laughs) self-interest. And also that attitude of the kind of privilege and this idea that they somehow deserve the job just for existing and Matt in the book is very much that figure he's someone who doesn't understand why this kind of upstart young girl presents any kind of threat to him because the job should be his for the taking um so that was you know something that I wanted to bring into that that kind of dynamic and that idea because I think actually that is really relevant to young people and the idea of young people specifically as activists because what holds a lot of children and young people back is the idea that they can't do anything, that they're not in a position of power or authority. Um, And I really wanted in this book to challenge that, to say, well, 
this is why people think they're in charge, but, you know, it's not real. Those reasons aren't real. And if we kind of unpick them, there is space for you. There are ways for you to be able to make a difference. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because as parents and teachers who have a certain kind of authority in the role of the child, on the one hand, we may really want them to be rebels like Effie, but it does make our lives much more difficult. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And because the world that Effie exists in is a very real world, I'm kind of constantly thinking, how far can I push this without it becoming problematic either for you know the young person or for the, the kind of um, authority figures that they're surrounded by? But I think that's really why the message in the book is one of small changes can affect bigger change. And rather than necessarily encouraging children to break rules, it's encouraging them to interrogate them, I suppose. Now, I love the way that you use the school newspaper. I love the way you feed in things that kind of break the tension all the time. Tell us a little bit about the the school newspaper. Yeah, so the school newspaper is like real tabloid press material. And um, Katrina, the editor of the school paper, is kind of in Matt's pocket. So everything she prints is very sympathetic towards Matt and kind of twists what Effie's kind of said or done to, to make those look negative. And I felt like that was really interesting way of bringing in both the kind of issue of bias and the fake news and all the rest of it, we're talking more about interrogating sources and that kind of thing. So there was that side of it. But then there was also the fact that that allowed me in a very light way to kind of get in the idea of Effie as a young woman telling the truth about something but then having that truth be doubted or manipulated or kind of shoved aside. Um, And I felt like that was a really important thing to talk about. And one of the things that I really felt when I was writing this book was I, I was saying to my editor as I was writing it, oh, it, it's really, it is funny, but it's also, it's really angry. It's coming out really angry. And I kind of felt good about that because I felt so strongly for Effie that she was just trying so hard to do what was right. And she kept being kind of pushed back by these kind of sinister, (laughs) like one of my favourite bits in the book is there's a scene where she's talking to a male teacher who's kind of taken Matt's side and Matt's gone to the teacher and said, oh, you can't listen to her. She's she's ridiculous. She's hysterical. And so Effie goes to this teacher in good faith and, you know, she takes, she says, there's something wrong. There's something bad happening. And here's all the reasons why it's bad. And the teacher's really dismissive of her. And there's a line where Effie says, but I'm right. And I was like crying when I wrote it because I could just feel exactly that frustration of, I don't understand why it's not that simple. I'm right about this, (laughs) but you're still not listening to me. (laughs) And so it was really, really interesting to, they're quite knotty, complicated issues and big feelings um, and to sort of think about those in a way that's appropriate for a sort of 8 to 12, 13 year old reader. 
Mm. is a really really as a writer is a really interesting problem to kind of tackle Mm. one of the things that I also wanted to explore because we've talked about the kind of these three uh, characters Aaron Matt and uh, Effie but actually there's something here about how others around them let this happen Mm. and how easy it is to go for the path of least resistance yeah absolutely and I think this is, you know, why Aaron has been elected in the first place, because of that sort of ambivalence. You know, what difference does student council really make anyway? Who's really watching what they're doing? Who's really holding them accountable for anything? Um, and so it absolutely is a story about challenging that kind of ambivalence and that lack of interest. Also, that feeling of well, it doesn't affect me directly, so I don't understand why you want me to care about it. That was very much something Mm. that was at the centre of it. So the idea that Effie wants to organise the school to help clean up the river, and Matt says, well, the river's not part of the school. (laughs) Why, Why is it our school's responsibility to clean up the river? And it's that kind of narrowing that I think is really problematic and that Effie's trying to fight against. I do want to say that I love the older women in your story, the grandmother and it's Iris. They're both quite different to each other, but they managed to forge a friendship. Yeah, well, Iris is um, Effie's next door neighbour and she's a big character in the first book. Um, And really, she was where the idea for the first book started, which was the idea that Effie would live next door to a woman who's kind of in her 90s but who has been all her life a big political activist and who's marched and who's and who's fought for so many of the freedoms that Effie now enjoys and so that was really interesting and she's a brilliant character and then in um the second book we brought in Effie's grandmother Yaya I love her so much she's a very lovely character but Physically, in my mind, I had this almost like Cruella de Vil, like extremely glamorous red lipstick, quite scary looking. (laughs) And she's very like Iris. They're very different. But what she has in common with Iris is she's very unapologetic about the space that she occupies. She knows how to look after herself and she wants to do that. Um, she wants her granddaughters to do the same. And so that was the kind of thread that joined these two big characters together. I wanted to ask you a slightly different question that goes back to your PhD thesis, where you were uh, looking at the image of the reader as um, both women and children in Mm -hmm. children's books of the 19th century. And I was interested, first of all, in women and children occurring in the same piece of research. And then whether through doing that, um, it sort of influenced the way that you've written about character in your stories. Yeah, I think it has, definitely. I mean, I finished my thesis five years ago now, and obviously I was working on it for four years before that. So, so... I'm almost embarrassed that you've read it because I, as with anything, I knew there are a lot of things I would do differently <laughs> now. But um, the reason I think that I started writing about women and children in the same space, specifically in the 19th century, was because I was very interested in the idea of the kind of domestic space. 
and reading within the domestic space and what that looked like and what that meant for Victorian readers. Um, and so my thesis was about the way that the figure, it's, there's a lot of the word reader in it, the way that the, the reader is presented within text. So so it's about the reader reading about reading. <laughs> um, um, and so the idea of women and children definitely came from that. The idea in the 19th century of the kind of separate spheres and women and children, children almost being kind of, gendered regardless of gender children almost being kind of encapsulated in this idea of what's I suppose feminine um uh so that was why I was writing about the two of them together that's where it started at um and then absolutely it's had a huge impact I think I think what I found the most interesting about the research that I did for that was realizing how radical the act of reading can be and how potentially threatening the act of reading can be to some people because you can't monitor it because you can watch someone reading something and still have absolutely no control absolutely no idea absolutely no way of censoring that experience because you can't you can't get in there you can't get to the act of reading um and so I think that was why it was particularly in the 19th century it became like a real source of anxiety this uh, with women in particular this idea that women were reading novels from the circulating library and whatever in really unrestrained ways um and how do we police that how do we police the act of reading so that definitely influenced me in lots of ways I would say there's actually the really specific link with Effie the Rebel which is through the zines and so in Effie the Rebel they decide that they're going to put together a zine to to distribute at school and they find out from Iris the activist all about zines and how they've been used politically Um, and so they decide they're going to make their own anonymous zine and distribute it in the school and I feel like maybe that links into that idea of reading as a radical act of it being a way of disseminating information that's potentially risky or um, rebellious. Interesting. Uh, one that we'll have to t- return to at another time, maybe in more depth. So <laughs> yes. I'll just spring it on you like that. <laughs> um, but we're coming up to international, at the time of recording uh, today, we're coming up to International Women's Day. And it struck me how many of our young activists, because we do have, you know, some well-known young activists now. Mm. It struck me how many of those are are female. I suppose Greta Thunberg is the most prominent of them, but there are so many. And I I talk about them actually in this book quite a lot. I mean, within the UK, you look at someone like Amy and Ella Meek, who who set up the charity Kids Against Plastic in, uh, you know, I think maybe one of them was 11 at the time. And and it's just kind of incredible that these young girls and these young women are the ones who are taking on this big fight. Um, And particularly, I suppose, with regard to climate change, which which is what I was thinking about when I wrote Effie the Rebel was exactly about these young activists and 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 how Effie would respond to those young women and how she would want to emulate them. I don't know why maybe young women are more 
aware of these issues because one of the things that we've talked about is kind of everyday sexism and um and and actually bigger issues of sexism so maybe young men don't have the same experience an interesting one for us to reflect on even if we don't know the answer certainly that's true and I have to say, I knew it was going to be interesting talking to you, Laura. And I really thank you for your time today. You've given us a lot to ponder on. And uh, I hope lots of people c- get to to read the Effie books. And maybe we might even hear more from her in the future. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you so much. I feel like we could have gone for an hour and a half easily. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform. <laughs>